episode of A Minister, a Priest, and a Rabbi Walk Into a Radio Station. I'm Dr. Pandora Carlucci, joined by Jay Corrigan. Jay, good morning. How's it going today? It's it's going great, Pandora. Thank you very much for asking. Good seeing to see you again. Thank you, Jay. It's good to see you too. And we have a good show ahead of us today. We're going to have a slightly different format. As usual, we have our faith leaders, Reverend Kathy McAdams, Rabbi Tom Alpert, and Reverend Eric Cherry. And this morning, they're also going to be joined by Jim Derrick, who is president of the SAFE Coalition. And Jay, our co-host here, is also going to be joining in on one aspect of the conversation. So we have a very full morning. And our topic today, a very important and serious one, is faith, addiction, and recovery. But before we get started, I'm going to ask our faith leaders to say good morning and kind of give us a little update on how things are going in their houses of worship. So uh, Reverend Eric Cherry, I thought that we would begin with you and then we would proceed to Rabbi Tom. So Eric, good morning. Good morning, Pandora. So good to be with you and with Jay and with Jim and my dear colleagues. It's uh, the uh, the middle to end of July, and uh, that means that uh, First Universal Society things have slowed down a good deal from um, the pre-summer days. Uh, but we're in also in the midst of um, a kind of a slow ramp up to the new normal, the, the post-COVID new normal, and um, we'll have people in the pews uh, for our Sunday service this week um, in um, larger numbers than we've had in 15, 16 months. So really excited about that and also a little bit um, anxious. You know, the uh, we've all been following the news about um, breakthrough uh, effects of the, uh, the, the variant and um, that has us kind of hesitating about uh, safety measures and cautions that um, we weren't expecting to have to have in place this Sunday that we likely will have to. So masks will be required. Um, and uh, But we will be indoors and uh, a, um, a hybrid option for folks to participate from home is um, is always in place. Other than that, I would uh, just add that I'm, uh, I'm grateful for having had the chance for some vacation time over the past couple of weeks. And um, Enjoyed being up at a a Unitarian retreat center uh, near Saco, Maine for a week for for a youth camp and uh, to kind of step away and to uh, focus inward and to, you know, be a part of um, a camp experience for uh, fourth through 11th graders and um, and their adult leaders was was really special. So that's how things are on my end. I think they sound great. And it's it is exciting to join with one's colleagues and worship together in person. We've been very creative over the past many months, but to be together in one room, it's a, it's a different dimension, a different experience, and it's a nice way of living our faith. And uh, we'll be thinking of you this weekend as you all come together for the first time. And uh, Rabbi Tom, how are things going at Temple at Siam? Well, Boker Tov, which means good morning, um, 
Today is a very strange day that we're recording this because the sun is out. So <laughs> I'm sitting outside and it's lovely. Um, you know, this is supposed to be the quiet summertime and somehow it doesn't feel like it. Every day as I was thinking about all the things uh, to say about what's going on, there's a lot. Um, okay, things that are happening. From the temple's perspective, we too are getting ready to open up. We're uh, going to do so for our first service on August 20th and are hoping that being in Massachusetts will be of some use as we continue on with uh, COVID because of the high level of vaccinations. And I'm again going to ask people, if you have not yet been vaccinated, please, please, please do it. Do it for yourself, do it for your community. It is the right thing to do. Other things, our temple has officially launched our building campaign and are hoping to uh, be in our new building uh, sometime uh, in uh, 2022, maybe early 23. Uh, so we're very excited about that. The uh, High Holy Days, our, our biggest days of the year, are uh, coming up in early September. And uh, I am uh, at this point doing more praying than anything else about my ability to be ready for them, but I'm going to have to start working as well. Prayer gets you only so far. And the, uh, the last thing is normally in early July, I am in Israel, uh, with an amazing study program that takes place. And this year we had to do it online, uh, but uh, spent most of last week taking notes on my computer about some really valuable uh, learning. So that was, uh, th that was restorative. And now I'm pleased to be with everyone here today. I think it all sounds wonderful. Uh, I'm excited for your building uh, campaign because each house of worship in Franklin brings a warmth, a community, a spirit. And so it's exciting uh, to see the different changes as all of our communities are growing and uh, contributing to life. And we'll be thinking of you on the 20th as the temple starts um, praying in person and, and celebrating their faith. And it's so, again, as with the Unitarian, as with all the other houses of worship in Franklin, it is so nice to see these steps forward, cautiously, safely, but, but moving forward. And, and Reverend Kathy, um, how is everything going with your house of worship? Good morning, Pandora. Things are going well. We had planned to continue worshiping outdoors all summer, and we were going to uh, go inside September 12th. However, a couple Sundays ago, we showed up and our beautiful lawn where we've been worshiping was flooded. And so, <laughs> um, so we, our backup plan was to be remote only, but turned out there wasn't enough time to get the message out to everyone. And we had 22 people show up and we worshiped indoors. We are asking unvaccinated people to wear masks and they did. And it was wonderful. It was really wonderful to all be together inside, and we all felt safe, and so we decided to continue doing that. And uh, yeah, so it's so that's that's the plan is to keep going inside. We're we're obviously still exercising some caution. We're not passing the basket. We're only having communion with bread and not with wine. Things like that. Trusting people to social distance when they need to. So yeah, we're you know feeling our way, and that's that's kind of what we're all having to do right now is just take a step at a time and 
and see how it goes. Yeah, the summer quiets down at St. John's, but we're already, you know, making plans to ramp up for the fall for our program year. And we want to have a big welcome back celebration in September. We'll do a ministry fair so people can see what's going on at the church and how they might be involved and register all the kids for church school and that kind of thing. So, so lots of plans being made for that. We're, we're going to get to have confirmation services in our diocese, which were canceled last year. So I had prepared 14 teenagers for confirmation via Zoom, <laughs> and then all the services were canceled. So we're actually going to get to do that in October, which is exciting. And uh, so I'm planning some in-person events so they can actually meet each other and, and we can be a little more of a cohesive group before we go to that that celebration in October. And I'm planning to take a little vacation in August. I don't really have plans to go anywhere. I'm just planning to be quiet and enjoy nature and things like that. So probably staying home. I think that's it. I think your vacation sounds perfect. Sometimes just to restore, refresh, and rebuild the spirit, we can do it in place and just to calm down uh, away from the busyness of the world. It, it sounds wonderful. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, and I'm glad that you're going to be able to host your confirmation class this fall. That's a lot of work, and I'm sure the young people were equally as disappointed to have studied and prepared and to have it not been realized. So this is something that everyone can celebrate. I think that is great. As I mentioned, we have a, a busy morning with an um, important subject, but before we do, we're going to step aside for just one second and address uh, an issue, a matter that happened in Franklin. We had a, an ugly, hateful, anti-Semitic act take place in our town at our high school, and I'm going to ask Rabbi Tom if he would speak to this issue for us. Um, sure. So I suspect most people know that um, swastikas, swastika was found in the boys' bathroom at Franklin High School, and uh, steps were taken to deal with this. When we spoke last time, it was, short, it was before this incident, and we talked about prejudice and anti-Semitism and how you deal with these things. And uh, it was, I think, a very fruitful conversation here. And, you know, in many ways, issues of, of this sort aren't really on the folks who are being attacked. They're on the conversation has to be about the people who aren't. And uh, so I have to say, I have been pleased and indeed overwhelmed that uh, the Interfaith Council under the leadership of, uh, of uh, Reverend Kathy McAdams, and in particular on this topic under her leadership, has uh, given out uh, signs to members of the Interfaith Council and to individuals here saying we stand with our Jewish neighbors. And uh, seeing those signs has been uh, extremely gratifying uh, to me and to members of my congregation who know that this is not something that is a Jewish problem. This is a problem that the whole community is working on and uh, and that you know, you're, there's always going to be hatred. You're always going to have to deal with it. But it is what matters is when people of goodwill come together, and that's happening here. Thank you, Tom. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the signs. Uh, I'm a member of St. Mary Parish, and Reverend Brian Manning is our pastor. 
And he wrote to all of us in the parish, as he does every Friday, but a very heartfelt letter sharing, you know, what had happened, steps that were being taken, and that the signs that uh, we have in front of our school, in front of our church and rectory that say that we stand with our Jewish neighbors, that we need to stand up. And uh, I'm glad that our community is supporting you and and um, your congregation. But Thank uh, you. Uh, uh, Father Manning has truly been a leader in that, and his letters to the congregation have been, uh, which I've read, have been uh, also uh, very, um, it, it, you know, it gives you a good feeling to know that you've got people who care. Let me just say to anyone in the community that if they would like a, a yard sign for their their home or their business to come by St. John's, we have some extras. I, I must say that, uh, Rabbi Tom, your your post after this happened, the, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a letter to the community or whatever it may be, was tremendous. Uh, it was very well thought out. It spoke, I thought, to everybody. It didn't single anybody out. So kudos to you. I, I thought just the way reading that and then following kind of how you and your congregation handled it, I, I thought it was just tremendous. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. Well, at any time. As we all know, once a year I have a uh, I'm going to use a big word here, salient. I don't know if that's a good word or if it even is a word. A salient thought, and that was it. So I'll talk to you next July. Well, we will take and, and <laughs> uh, treasure that uh, a salient thought. and, and um, You're too kind, Pandora. As we lead into our discussion which, as I mentioned earlier, is on faith, addiction, and recovery. We're going to start a little bit uh, differently, and we're going to begin with uh, Jim Derrick and with Jay Horrigan. And I'm going to uh, ask Jim if you would introduce yourself to the community and why you are here this morning before we go into the faith discussion as you help us to lay the foundation of understanding knowledge and compassion as we have this difficult but yet very important subject. So thank you so much, Pandora, for that kind introduction and most especially to you and Jay and uh, everyone assembled for the, um, uh, for the invitation today to address this topic. I am first and foremost a dad. It's what I always wanted to be. So I've, I've self-actualized right here. I can tell you I'm, I'm there. I made it. I have three wonderful boys and truly uh, it's been um, both the most challenging job I could ever imagine and also the most rewarding as, as all of us that have children uh, may be able to identify with, but it's a wonderful thing. Along the way, I've also uh, helped with the formation of the SAFE Coalition uh, with my friend and partner and really the engine behind the SAFE Coalition, the brains behind it, Jennifer Knight Levine, who is just a wonderful resource and a abundant uh, with an abundant source of energy and uh, talent and passion for for helping our community deal with, cope with, heal from, and recover from our nation's number one health epidemic at the moment, which, believe it or not, although the pandemic certainly has challenged this, but 
uh, is substance use disorder. And as many people in the listening audience, and certainly those here probably are aware, we just hit a horrible milestone with the most overdose fatalities on a national basis ever at 93,000 souls lost in 2020, which is, it's just, it's, yeah, it's breathtaking. Previous to that, uh, 70,000 was the number, which is equally breathtaking. So that's a 29% increase. So for me, just to share with you a little bit about my story today, I'm, I'm here as Jim Derrick, the dad, I um, was bringing up my children. I just assumed that when you did everything right, and I had a wonderful childhood, I have two wonderful parents that are still with us, and I'm so blessed. You take them to church, you coach their little league teams, you be certain that they get to school on time, and you do everything we all think we're supposed to do as parents. You do the best you can with what you have at the time you have it, that by gosh, you'll have three wonderful shiny apples at the end of all that, that indeed you are in control of, of everything in their lives. You know, that was kind of the approach I took to parenting. What I didn't realize is that along the way, one of my children was struggling with mental health issues. And at the time, they seemed behavioral to me. So many people would recognize some of the symptoms, difficulty concentrating in school, no friends or seemingly no friends, um, behavioral issues. And along the way, I became, it became increasingly obvious to us that the problem was larger than behavioral. It was larger than the response to it should be larger than disciplinary, that there was indeed a, an underlying mental health concern here. Now, also along the way, my son uh, found th that uh, he wanted to self-medicate. And it started with marijuana and increased from there. And this is around the age of 13 or 14. Of course, this is all retrospective. We weren't aware of it at the time, but we certainly saw it behaviorally. So to shorten up the story a little bit, by the time this, my son was 16, 17 years old, the uh, problem had become full-blown addiction or substance use disorder, along with an underlying mental health diagnosis or yet to be diagnosed, but certainly was present. And we as a family were struggling to understand how to respond to this in a community that of all well-intentioned people, but a community, and I mean both locally, nationally, that really stigmatized both of those illnesses. It wasn't okay for me to talk about this publicly. It was, uh, frankly, it was um, alarming to me at best and certainly to my family, but certainly, you know, other, it's just not something you spoke about with regularity. I remember walking into my pediatrician's office, my son's pediatrician's office and saying to the doctor, you know, I think my son's showing signs of, of addiction. He cannot stop smoking marijuana at the time. And my very excellent pediatrician, by the way, was only equipped, as most pediatricians were, to say to me, I'm really sorry to hear that. Here's a phone number, and it was a national number. Call this number, and maybe they can help you. Well, then that was true with pediatricians. Um, I'd speak to, um, at the time, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists. Nobody was really prepared professionally to deal with an adolescent that had emerging substance use disorder, addiction issues. So in that environment, it's a very strange feeling. And any of our listeners that have been there before or there now can probably empathize with me or understand directly. You know instinctively that your son or daughter or loved one has an illness that is not only chronic, but might be terminal. And that describes a lot of illnesses like cancer, diabetes, 
multiple sclerosis, you know, certainly if your child had one of those illnesses, you would be out in the community, there'd be GoFundMe pages, you'd have support, people would share the burden of the pain of, of seeing your loved ones suffer like this with you, there'd be cards and, the, and, the per, and your loved one would get all kinds of support. That wasn't the case here. So a conversation with me might sound something like this. Jim, how are your sons? And I would go through my healthy sons and say how wonderfully they were doing. And we get to my third son and I would say, you know, he's just off track at the moment. I'm not proud of that. It's, it's difficult even now for me to say, to admit to saying that. But the truth was, I just was buried in my own shame and succumbed to that and was unable to speak the real truth. The truth that my son was suffering from illness from which he may not recover. And I would be surprised if he saw his 30th birthday. So as time went by, the problem became exacerbated. Uh, he was unable to find his way through the multiple treatment centers that we sent him to. And an additional problem reared its head, which was that many, as with many people that suffer from these illnesses, court involvement and police involvement became attached. So now you have an additional layer of uh, complicating circumstances in which you find your family name being spoken in court attached to such things as assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, to give you some examples, or theft of a motor vehicle. Things that would horrify and shock the conscious, the conscious of not only me, but of his grandparents and our family at large, and certainly the community at large. So now you find an additional layer of shame attached to what is the behavior of an individual whose illness is trying to thrive. The illness is, is what's driving these crimes. And that is not to excuse the crimes. Those crimes all have consequences and those consequences need to be paid by those that commit them. But it is a symptom, just like hair loss is the symptom of, of, of someone undergoing treatment for chemotherapy or going through chemotherapy. This is certainly a manifestation or a symptom of the illness. And so that is just, I just give that as an example. You now find yourself shrouded further in shame. And so all along the way, I... Um, have always gone to church. I'm, I'm Episcopalian. I attend Trinity Episcopal Church in Rentham. And I sat in the pews feet away from people who were suffering, who's had loved ones suffering the same illness. And I had no idea. These were my brothers and sisters in Christ that I would go to funerals with. And I would talk about all sorts of, I'd pray with in the most intimate cir you know, circumstances. We'd face all kinds of adversity, trials and tribulations, joys, celebrations with. But this one issue, we never spoke about. To my shock, horror, and amazement, one of those people that I literally shared a pew with for 22 years lost his son to a fatal overdose two and a half years ago. And I had no idea that his son was sick. I had no idea that that family was suffering like I was. And because of the stigma and the shame and, the, and, the, and that shrouding and that inability to speak, he and I carried this heavy burden as brothers in Christ. We carried this heavy burden burden, and never had the, never were able to support each other. And it was jarring to me and it was jarring to him. And I remember hugging him at his son's memorial service and expressing my sorrow and grief over not only his son's loss, but the fact that he and I had been walking the same journey and were unable to speak about it. But the, wonderful news that our brothers and sisters of the Jewish faith have been supported by the community through an outpouring of love expressed 
publicly with these signs is a wonderful segue to say that I understand directly how powerful that communal support can be. And you may all be familiar with the 2069 campaign where Trinity Episcopal Church and many other community partners took to use that number which symbolized the number of fatalities in Massachusetts in the year 2018. And they took those signs out as a symbol that we are with you. And Rabbi Alpert, I can directly relate to what you said when you said that that communal support is both uplifting and, um, well, I'll just say it's, it's uplifting and it's a window into the fact that we are all the same. The human spirit is really an amazing thing. And when we come together and, and say, look, we're no different, we love you, it's very empowering. And so um, really what, what happened was the community, that was evidence that the community was responding and saying, you know what, we realize that you are out there. We realize that you're sick and suffering through efforts like the Safe Coalition and others that stood up and said, it's time that we recognize addiction and mental illness for what it is, which is a, an illness, a chronic illness that without treatment will result in disability and or death. And we need to support people the way that we would support any other illness. And by gosh, that effort started about six years ago. And I'm proud to say and happy to say that our community has completely changed its response to this illness. That now when I when, when someone, when a Jim Derrick is walking around the streets of Franklin or any of the other communities in Norfolk County and they need help, they can walk into a place of worship. They can walk into a police station. They can walk into a fire station, pediatrician's office, many of our community partners and find a resource. And oftentimes it is a safe coalition, but they find that they are not alone. And um, I cannot adequately express my gratitude for the community's response, my gratitude to the houses of worship in particular, who have reached their hands out. Father Mann was one of the first people to the table when the Safe Coalition formed. And I have had incredible support. I say I, we have had incredible support from everybody on this screen today. I will never forget Reverend Cherry reaching out to me personally, as I don't even think his chair was warm yet as he just sat down at the Unitarian Universalist Church and said, I wanna to get to know you, I wanna to get to know your coalition, and I want to know how we can help. And by gosh, the community did help in a huge way by delivering a large sum of money to us, which went directly to purchase Narcan, which literally saved lives. And so that's uh, a long-winded way of saying that uh, it is a problem. I am grateful for the opportunity to speak about it today. And as I kind of wrap up a little bit, I will say that one of the biggest challenges we, and I speak for many families that are faced with this illness have, is how do we cope with the fact that our loved ones have committed some crimes, that many people come to the table and feel that, that addiction is a choice, not an illness, which is not my belief, but many people struggle with that. And where, where does God, where, where is God in all of this? Why do people suffer so greatly, as with many other illnesses? Why, when these, when these heinous crimes are committed as a result of someone's addiction wanting to thrive, is there salvation available? How do we fit in? Where, how does God shepherd us, both as families and our loved ones, through this life with, with the issues that I just laid out at hand? And so I really appreciate the opportunity to, 
to share with you today and also to get your thoughts. Jim, first of all, thank you. We also appreciate the fact that you spoke from the heart. You were so transparent. You shared what it is to to be a father and to take this journey that you never expected to take. And you've opened up our eyes about a lot of things, many things that we might have known because some of us may have experiences in our family or or, um, extended family or friends. But I, I, I thank you. And I know that anyone listening to this call can reach out to the Safe Coalition and maybe we can add that contact information later on in in the show. But thank you. You gave us a a very strong foundation and you told your story with such just feeling and caring and compassion. And um, I like the way you pull together because we do wonder when we are in these moments, where is God? How do we turn to our faith? How do we use us? As, as a strength. And, and that's so important. And, and so much of your journey that you shared with us happened in that pew at Trinity Church in Rentham. And, and that was a turning moment at different times for you. So Jim, we, we all thank you uh, for giving us this knowledge and this foundational um, information as we continue this morning with our discussion on faith, addiction, and recovery. At this point, I'm going to turn it over to Jay. And Jay, did you want to give us a few words before we uh, open it up to a broader discussion? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Pandora, and thank you to everybody. This conversation came about, uh, I'm not sure, maybe it was a week or so ago, uh, Jim had emailed me uh, to let me know about August 31st being Overdose Awareness Day and a, a vigil that's going to happen on the common. Jim suggested this as an idea for our show, uh, and it is such an important big topic that we're actually going to carry the discussion over to our next month's show as well. I have some history, family history, and family all over the country with uh, anything from alcohol to heroin to crack. Uh, I have lost cousins to ODs. I've lost cousins to uh, suicide. So I've had a lot of experience. I have a lot of family members who have gone through the rehab process. And then I've got other family members that probably should go through the rehab process. But Uh, That's a conversation for later. Uh, I think what we want to do, and our main goal here, is to get the input of our three faith leaders that are joining us. And we'll start with Reverend Kathy and talk a little bit about maybe, I don't know if it's a generic approach by all faith leaders, if there's a specific I don't know if there's a training program these days that you folks go through. It just, I think people would like to hear the approach of three different faith leaders and how that can help them through their journey of addiction, recovery, maybe re-addiction, whatever it may be. Thanks, Jay. Um, First, let me say we get very little training in anything. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I just want to thank Jim so much for 
for telling his story. I felt like that could have just been the show right there. Um, thank you for speaking from the heart and being willing to share so openly. And one thing that jumped out at me, you talked about the shame around addiction. And I, I just think that in our society, you know, before addiction was labeled a disease, it was thought of as a moral failing. And I think there's still a lot of residue of that, you know, it, in in society and in the church. And a lot of that is still there. And I think that's where that shame comes from. <clears throat> but the programs that seem the most successful in treating addiction, things like AA and NA and other 12-step programs are all spiritually based. And as, as an alcoholic and addict myself, I can say that it's very important for us to be able to relinquish control to a higher power, a power greater than ourselves, because it's really tempting for addicts to think of ourselves as God and to think that we're in control and um, that we don't need anybody or anything. And so to be able to turn over control to God, to a higher power, I think is really one of one of the major keys to that program. And um, and so hopefully, you know, faith communities can be part of that. It, it, Reverend Kathy, I thought it was pretty cool as you were talking, you know, as you hit your important parts, you could actually hear birds chirping in the background to kind of accentuate what you were saying. Another big word, by the way, you can mark that off on your bingo card, <laughs> accentuate. Uh, let's go to Rabbi Tom. Rabbi, you can kind of fill us in on your experiences uh, and your approach. I'm going to start with the, the great quote from the Bible from Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, that there's a time to be silent and a time to speak. And they're both happening now. There's, I, I mean, I am... I feel so humbled from hearing Jim and from hearing Reverend Kathy talking about their lives and realize that, you know, it is their time to speak, not mine. And yet at the same time, the other thing from Jim is that it is a time for us to speak and to say, to be public about addiction and not to, to hide it and not to be sitting next to someone where you're both there to, to talk to God and you can't even talk to each other about something as important as this. And so I thank the SAFE Coalition for the work it's done. Um, from a, a former member of our congregation, uh, Barbara Gilmeister, um, set up an organization called Gilly's House, a halfway house here, in response to um, her sons dying of, a, of an of opioid addiction. and. You know, I'm, I'm reminded there of another text, uh, uh, Justice, Justice Shall You Pursue, and uh, the, the, the opioid addiction didn't just happen. It was a cynical response of people to make money, and it has destroyed countless lives, and I am as angry as can be about that and insistent that we do something about that and make the wrongdoers pay. But a couple of things I want to talk about. One was um, in response to, to the point about having a place for God. There's a, there's a text uh, in the Torah, that's, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, that says, when you've eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the eternal your God. And of course, the problem with addiction is that you're never satisfied. And so that means that the addiction, take, there is no place for you to bless God. There is no place for you to be able to 
to clear that and be able to do that. And so, as Reverend Kathy was saying, the 12-step programs that are successful are about bringing in that sense that you do have to let there be something greater than yourself in, in your world. And it's really, really hard. It's harder than I could even, I could begin to imagine. So I'm not preaching to people about how to do this. I'm sympathizing with their struggle. And that gets me to one last thing, which is, you know, the, the Israelites were given over to slavery in Egypt. And the word addiction is from that same root, to be given over. And Egypt in Hebrew is Mitzrayim. And it's a term that means the two narrow places. It's a, a sense of there being a really constricted space. And that it is our job as people of faith and as hopefully good pastoral counselors to be with people as they are struggling with that narrow place that they are in and helping them get through to an open place. And so we need to speak out against the things that are being done that shouldn't be. We need to speak out a chance for people who have been silent to be able to speak and we have to stand with them in humility and silence and hold their hand as they walk through those narrow places. Rabbi, that was, that was excellent. Uh, and I appreciate you so much sharing with that. And right before we get to uh, Reverend Eric, just uh, for our listeners, just a reminder, you can reach out to the Safe Coalition, uh, their phone number, their support hotline, is 508-488-8105. You can always go to their website, safecoalitionma.org. There are some other numbers. We'll make sure to get it. We'll mention them again. But I wanted to make sure as we were talking, we get that number out there. Thank you so uh, both to Reverend Kathy and um, Rabbi Tom for their thoughts so far. And what I just wanted to add was, there is a 12-step program for family recovery, uh, specific for adults that are, like me, struggling with a loved one. And that happens every Wednesday night in person at the Safe Coalition, or we also have a hybrid option. And you could reach out to me at 508-488-8105, the same number at the Safe Coalition, and ask for me, and I will get you more information on that. And you will find yourself surrounded by people that are on the very similar journey and that understand immediately many of the things you've been going through and will hold you up and support you. Jim, thank, thank you very much. I think that's important. Uh, and I think the way you phrase it is, is tremendous. It's a similar journey, but no one's journey is ever, it's never the same. It's different for every individual, uh, family, whatever, friends, whatever, group people are, are with. And that, that leads me to Reverend Eric. Um, you know, talk about your approach, what, what you folks do, if there's anything different than what our other faith leaders have addressed. Uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Thanks, Jay. And uh, to everyone that's spoken and witnessed this reality already this morning, I don't have much more to add. I, I just want to lift up that um, that we have a responsibility to interpret to our people and our community 
how uh, universal um, this experience is, this journey through the narrow places, as Rabbi Tom was putting it. It's um, It's been the big secret. And anytime that a culture decides to keep something a secret, uh, it, it usually points to a spiritual problem. And that's our place. That, that's the place where, where we have to um, show up. I would um, I'd venture to say that um, that addiction uh, exists in um, every person's life uh, and um, that there are different degrees of manageability and unmanageability for each person as they uh, experience addiction, um, either uh, individually or with a with someone that they love. Um, and that means that religion has to has to um, face that universally with uh, with all people. All people have work to do um, spiritually in regard to addiction. And um, uh, at FUSF, we, um, we we point people to that truth. We ask people to to say aloud the ways in which addiction has touched their lives. Maybe the close calls uh, that happened, the grace that somehow arrived and um, help them through uh, to testify to that, to witness to that is, um, uh, is an important part of the spiritual work that we do. I wanna say thank you to a couple of, um, of, of my Unitarian Universalist colleagues, um, Reverends uh, Lane Campbell and Katie Kandarian Morris, who just um, earlier this year published a, um, a terrific book, This Day in Recovery. It's a, a meditation a day uh, for um, all people uh, whether you're in a 12-step program in recovery or um, care and love for people who are. And this has been my daily companion since January 1st. And um, I can't imagine having uh, gone through this year without it. Um, all of us need tools, resources, spiritual um, connection uh, in, in that kind of way, in one way or another. Um, and um I want to note that it was really gratifying to know that the Safe Coalition um, has a chaplain and they will connect people with religious community as a part of their work, uh, which makes, you know, all the sense in the world. And I, I very much hope that um, the um, faith community in Franklin uh, will continue to show up uh, for our neighbors uh, for our family members, um, and um, especially as we witness on the last day of August, let's um, intervene. Let's um, let's make sure that Narcan is available every time that uh, that someone is um, is is uh, uh, in danger of dying. Um, that um, that we are um, our siblings' keepers, and um, there's no um, there's no. There's no reason for this to be a secret and the spiritual health of our community, of our town, of our siblings uh, requires that that it, it, it no longer is. You know, Jay, if I might reflect, uh, Reverend Eric, loved your words. Um, and, and I just celebrate the fact that we're all sitting here letting the community know that there are no more secrets that they need to keep, that the great news is that regardless of your faith tradition, you may walk in, know that you're welcome, know that you belong. And importantly, if you're struggling, raise your hand and ask for help. And we need to model that behavior. This is something that I learned along the way that I wished I had done a better job of, is showing my children, modeling for them, that it, when you're in trouble, raise your hand and ask for help. This is a mental illness. Addiction's a mental, been reclassified as a mental illness. 
And one of the universal things that we see among those in recovery as they share their experience is that oftentimes addiction came out of that need to self-medicate because they weren't comfortable in their skin and they didn't know where to reach out for help or didn't know how to. So it is important modeling, again, from our leaders in the faith community down to us, the congregants, down to those that are either have been among us for years or are new to our midst that we, uh, that we show them that not only are they welcome, but uh, we are encouraging them to raise their hands and ask for help. We're all the same. We're all in the same type of journey. We all need help every now and then. And, and Jim, I think it is, people need to be aware of the fact that um, they're not on their own. And if you do raise your hand, if you do speak up, I, I think a lot of people will be, and Jim, you and I have discussed this, would be shocked at the number of other people in your little circle or your community that are dealing with some of the same issues, some of the same challenges, addictions. As Reverend Kathy said earlier, the community is what helps you get through this. We're fortunate enough right now to have three faith leaders willing to talk about this, willing to dedicate I, I hope people that listen to our show understand that our topics are not decided by myself or Pandora. They're decided on by our faith leaders, and they give us a guideline as to what we want to do. And when we brought this up to them, they were all for it, to the point that we're going to do a second show on it. Uh, I, I think it's it speaks to the three of you and your willingness to address whatever the issue or challenges are that we're facing. So I, I greatly appreciate you doing that. I would ask all three of you just a, a quick, because maybe your, your uh, congregants don't know or people from other faiths maybe hear one of you speak and kind of click. How do you folks interface with some of these, uh, such as the Safe Coalition, other organizations institutions to help not just your congregates, but people in general to deal with addiction. And let's go in reverse order this time and start with Reverend Eric. Thanks, Jay. Um, so one of the, um, one, one of the uh, blessings in my life was that um, in a, in an earlier outbreak of, um, of addiction to methamphetamine, a, um, a leader in our state reached out to say that uh, the religious community needed to show up and, Joanne Peterson in 2004 began uh, organizing people to face the reality of, um, of addiction and um, developed a, a community known as Learn to Cope. And uh, I remember her um, speaking to a, a packed audience at um, the church that I was serving in Easton that year about why that was important and witnessing to the struggles in her own family. That organization has blossomed and um, uh, pre-pandemic, uh, they were holding meetings at FUSF each Monday night. And gosh, I hope that that starts up again as it's uh, become safe to do so. Uh, that's been a haven for people in our congregation and well beyond our congregation, uh, a place of support and, um, and connection that um, Joanne's organization has made a, an incredible difference for so many people. That's, that's tremendous, uh, Reverend Rabbi Tom. So I've mentioned that, you know, we're, we're try to stay in touch with the Safe Coalition. Anything that is ever needed, we want to be there. 
I mentioned Gilly's House and uh, our congregants' connections to that. And uh, just in general, that I think we try to make it as clear to um, our community as we can that this is yet another example of why people need community and we need to be with each other. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's one of the great things we're able to do here at Franklin TV and radio to get this information out there to people. Reverend Kathy. I think the greatest way that we support people with addiction is that we host five 12 step meetings per week. And even during the pandemic, we wanted to have the possibility that those meetings could continue. Some of them chose to moved to Zoom and others met in the parking lot or other outdoor locations. But there was there was one, the Friday night meeting continued throughout the whole thing. Every every week they continued meeting in person. And, you know, we had to set some pretty strict guidelines, but we wanted to make sure that they could continue because we knew that that was so important for so many people. And a few weeks ago, we had a visitor at the Sunday service and uh, afterwards he asked to speak with me privately, and I thought it was going to be a complaint, of course, because <laughs> that's what I always think when somebody wants to speak with me privately. But he, he got very teary, and he said, I just want to thank you for allowing us to continue to meet. He said, we saved so many lives last year or this year. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and I was just so touched by that, and I, I it really affirmed that we were doing the right thing by making sure they could continue to be together. So, yeah, and, and I know the Safe Coalition before my time met at St. John's for a while, I think had some sort of a drop-in center kind of thing. We did. And the Safe so Coal, the, uh, St. John's was tremendously supportive of us, and we met there for a solid year uh, offering yeah. uh, services to people that would drop in and, and request them. Yeah. That's great. So, you know, feel free to reach out if there's more that we can do. Thank you. That's that's awesome. Uh, Reverend Kathy, thank you. For- hey, if I can just make an, an observation, uh, listening to the stories and how the faith leaders share that uh, they have supported this. Throughout history, churches and temples have been a sanctuary for people. You have gone there for safety. You've gone there for prayer. Uh, you've gone there to gather and, and worship. And that continues to this day. And you so often groups do meet at churches or houses of worship. They can find a meeting space that is safe and that people can let down and, and be very transparent in what they're saying and, and, and sharing with others. And so to hear this and, and know of what is going on in Franklin, it's just so reassuring and uh, knowing that you have the safe coalition that you have the interfaith council that we have so many opportunities in this town as a community to seek help and to give help. Absolutely. I I think the options for people to reach out to the, the chances are extremely good that that individual reaching out will find an option that works for them. That's comfortable for them because that's a big part of it. If an individual is not comfortable with the person or institution that they're dealing with, they're not going to deal with what they have to deal with. Their their uh, their situation that's causing them to be in this this turmoil. Uh, Reverend Kathy, we always end our show with a little spiritual focus, and today we are lucky enough to have you leading us in that. Yeah, well, I thought it would be very appropriate um, 
the uh, the Serenity Prayer is one that is used in a lot of 12-step groups and recovery programs. And a lot of people haven't heard the long version of it. It was written by Reinhold Niebuhr. <clears throat> it does lean a little toward Christian theology, um, but I hope that's helpful. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the different. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Reverend Kathy, thank you so much for sharing that, uh, the long version of the, the serenity prayer. Uh, I think a number of us have heard it. Uh, it has been, whether individually or through family or friends, been a part of our life. But I think you're right. I don't think people realize there is the long version if you will. Uh, I, I also, I, a couple of thank yous here. First of all, to Jim Derrick, who I've known now for a number of years, I've been lucky enough to get to know him through Franklin TV and radio. And I'm looking at a picture of him with a guy, with uh, Ed Hurley of uh, the Hockamock Y, who it's my, he, I ref basketball with him. It's my two lives are colliding here. So, but Jim, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for emailing me a week or so ago to get us on this path to talk about it and remind people that uh, this is just a first part. We're going to address this again next month. Uh, Jim, tell us just quickly, if you could, about the Overdose Awareness Day uh, on August 31st. Happy to. Uh, so the Safe Coalition is hosting an overdose awareness and recovery event that will happen on August 31st. It will be on the Franklin Town Common. I'm not sure which end it'll be on yet, but trust me, you'll you'll know where we are because we will be planting 2,109 flags, purple flags that day, which will symbolize each soul that was lost in Massachusetts in 2020. Uh, we will be having some speakers, some music, uh, and a candlelight vigil at the end. Uh, we'll have a number of, uh, I just mentioned the speakers, sorry about that. And we're hoping to have the Interfaith Council present and, and hopefully the, the leaders that are here today uh, to um, engage in uh, some prayer. So please join us that evening. And I also just want to thank both you, Jay, Pandora, and all of our uh, faith leaders here today for this invitation. Uh, very much a last minute, last minute adjustment, but I certainly appreciate all of you and your attention to this really important matter. So thank you. Uh, it's, it, it's absolutely our pleasure. And as I said earlier, when we put this topic out there to our faith leaders, uh, they jumped all over it. They, they wanted to, to address it. They want to deal with it. To, again, I, I remind everybody, we're going to do a second show. That's how important we all think it is, uh, Jim. So th I, I thank you for bringing it to our attention. Uh, as always, want to thank uh, Reverend Eric, Rabbi Tom, happy birthday, and whose daughter is returning today. Uh, so it, Rabbi Tom, thank you for staying a little longer. 
uh, I know you've got a very exciting day. And also, Reverend Kathy, I, I, openness and candidness is uh, so welcome. And uh, it is, I think, makes for, it kind of shows people what, you know, you get some real people you're dealing with here. So thank you to all three for that. Uh, Pandora, as always, great job. We're just here to kind of steer the boat in the right direction and then just get out of the way. So uh, we look forward to next month uh, doing our second part of this. I want to thank everybody for listening to our show today and especially Jim Derrick for bringing this super important topic to us. Uh, for Pandora Carlucci, I'm Jay Harrigan. Thanks for listening to a priest, a minister, and a rabbi walk into a radio station. We'll talk to you next time. Mm -hmm.